It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 321 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, April 24th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, of course, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode, as well as all of the written content on LockedOnRaptors.com. Uh, make sure you're also checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. It's our network that we're on, of course. Team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. we got Locked On NBA with daily shows across uh, the week from a bunch of different hosts from around the network. we got Locked On Fantasy if you're doing daily fantasy during the playoffs. Uh, we got you covered on the Locked On Podcast Network, so make sure you find it on iTunes and uh, subscribe, rate, review to the shows you like. And if you like Locked On Raptors, it's the best way to help out the show is to subscribe, rate, review. It's uh, It takes no time at all. It's free to do, and it's, uh, it's very helpful helpful and makes uh, me very appreciative if you take the time. So thank you in advance for doing that. All right, on today's show, I'm uh, excited to be joined by the man with the best hair in Toronto sports media, I I think. Maybe also one of our most famous uh, guests uh, to this point from Sportsnet. It's Faisal Kamisa. How's it going, man? Good, man. Thank you for boosting my ego with the hair and all the support I can in this battle. I appreciate that wildly. I'm sure no one has ever given you that compliment before, so I'm glad I could break new ground. <laughs> so I wanted to have you on the show today because this is a, a very tense time for Raptors fans. Game 5 looms on Wednesday. Uh, we've broken it down quite a bit. You can listen to yesterday's episode with Joe Wolfond as we kind of looked at what the Raptors might do in Game 5. And uh, yeah, there's just lots going on right now and lots of tension and ulcers and anxiety and all the stuff usually associated with the Raptors playoff run. So I thought it'd be nice to have someone on to just kind of talk about some of the better, more uplifting moments in Raptors playoff history because like, I feel like we could kind of use a moment to reflect on how far the Raptors have come and all the stuff that they've gone through and like they've been in big games before and prevailed. So. I don't know. I don't really have a structure for this. I kind of just want to bounce around some of our favorite uh, games of all time. I guess we can start with this. Like, 
of the last five years, I'm not going to go back to the early 2000s because I, you know, I was seven years old, so I, everything was great to me. I loved it all. Um, but like the last five years, I think are obviously the, the heyday for the franchise. Is there a single game that stands out to you as being the best Raptors playoff game, the most, you know, the, the most memorable Raptors playoff game, the one that you okay. enjoyed the most? Yeah, yeah. So it may not be like the best, best one for anyone, whatever, but for me, it was the uh, the Heat Game 7. Okay. It's on my list. It was like all the doubt in the world heading into that and leading up to that game, every game was pretty close, you know, and there was no indication that the Raptors could blow out this team. And certainly not like from that series and definitely not when looking back at the history of the Raptors, right? There's no, you know, history of them, you know, doing well in games like this. Yes, they beat Indiana in round one, the series before, and we'll talk about that when I have a moment from there. But the comfort of that game, I was in the building working uh, for Sportsnet, doing some stuff there, and everybody was just, like, happy mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, like, through the duration. And it was something, like, I hadn't experienced as a Raptors fan and certainly never, like, being in the building at the time for a playoff game. I'd never seen people just, like, at ease during the fourth quarter of a Raptors playoff game because it's genuinely always nerve-wracking and stressful. And so to close out a series with that much comfort was amazing. In fact, like, it was so comfortable – Halfway through the fourth, people were talking about Jose Bautista and Rubnet Odor getting a fight, <laughs> Jake Rangers, and like, you know you're doing something okay as your team if people are talking about another team in Toronto because they're confident you're going to wrap this one up and the, the Raptors handled business that game, and uh, that was a good one. That was like one of the more memorable in the last few years for me. Yeah, that one's on my list for sure. Um, that was a game, Kyle Lowry had 35 points, 11 yeah. of 20 shooting, got to the line a million times, and like that kind of felt... I mean, Lowry had a great game six. They ended up losing that game. But that did kind of feel like Lowry sort of breaking free of a lot of the crap he'd been dealing with in the, the weeks prior. Because if you remember the start of that playoffs, the start of that series, like that was all about Kyle not being able to find his shot. And, you know, taking an hour after the game to just go shoot by himself, like it's sad Kyle Lowry mode. And for him to have that huge game in game seven, it just kind of carried them when like, if you look at the box score, no one else played particularly well. I mean... DeMar had 28 points, but it was on, like, 29 shots. He was not efficient by any means. Uh, bless Patrick Patterson's soul. He went 0 for 4 from deep, of course. Um, of course. Still yeah. had 11 and 11. He ended up uh, getting to the line a bunch, so that was cool. But, uh, you know, Bismack Biombo, I guess, had a really nice game. He had 17 points and 16 boards. So, like, that was probably the second biggest performance of anyone there. The bench didn't do crap, and Kyle just kind of carried the day. And it was, uh, you know, I think... Obviously, since then, there's still a lot of Kyle Lowry, you know, criticism from playoff performances and his shooting numbers in the playoffs are historically bad. But I think, although I think the start of these playoffs are probably helping those out a little bit because he's been pretty decent. But um, I thought that was, uh, I think that's a good pick because that was a very Kyle Lowry, like, that, that, is that Kyle Lowry's, like, most defining game as a Raptor, do you think? Ooh, that's a really good question. I want to say yes, right? Because again, yeah. like, it was going to get blown up if things didn't go well in that series or that playoff, you know, and making that run to the Eastern Conference final helped save a lot of, you know, players and probably coaches as well. And mm-hmm. uh, Lowry put the team on his back there and everything else was kind of gravy. So I feel like, like you said, that exercised a lot of the Lowry. Playoff what is going on? Get into the struggles a little later, but um, for, for one game at least, everyone saw the Kyle Lowry that they hoped to have seen in the duration of his time as a Raptor playoff player. 
Sorry, I have auto ads playing somewhere on the. I don't know which basketball reference page you're playing them, but uh, apologies for that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that is. Like, I can't even think of other games that would be up there for Kyle. Because, like, last year's playoffs were kind of a wash. He didn't really. He wasn't back to full strength, really. Um, there might have been. Maybe it was like game five in the Brooklyn series in 2014. Like, is that yeah. as far back as we're going, maybe? It's, that, like might, a, that might be the time in which we go. I mean, obviously, he hit the, the game tying buzzer beater in game one of that Heat series. But up until that shot, he had played pretty poorly as well. Mm hmm. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of another Lowry playoff game like that one. That that I mean, series, right, the right time for the team, you know. Yeah, for sure. That series was so bad. <laughs> Every game decided by until the last two would. Game six was a 12 point game. Every other game was decided by eight or less points. But like, just some of the worst basketball you'll ever see. Like I think the first couple of games of this Bucks Celtics series kind of rivaled it. Um, they've kind of rallied a little bit and made it more entertaining. What's that? Yeah, the series I haven't turned on because I don't really want to. I don't want to. <laughs> I cannot blame you whatsoever for that. Um, but yeah, that series was awful. And for the Raptors to kind of have an awesome performance in the last game was uh, was pretty nice. I'll, I'll, let me throw one at you. And this one might be a little somber because they ended up losing the game. Okay. But game seven against the Nets. Okay, yes. Do you have so, fond memories of this game, like, with everything that's happened since then, or is it still sort of a sore spot for you? This is this is how I experienced Game 7 against the Nets, okay? I was in, um, I was I was working at Sportsnet, but I was in London, Ontario at the time, okay? Um, my I went to Western, and one of the associations and clubs I was a part of was holding a sports tournament that weekend, so I went down to show support, um, and so I think they played Game 6 Friday, mm -hmm. and I was... I was hoping that it was just wrapped up because I knew I'd be stuck in like a gym watching volleyball for game seven <laughs> if that was the case. And literally that was the case. I was watching like indoor soccer in like a gym at Western, streaming the game on my phone and <laughs> several people hover around me to try to watch the last play. And when Toronto got the ball back, everyone went crazy. I think they stopped the games from playing um, and we watched it all kind of go to crap, right? But uh, I do remember it was like heartbreaking. It was dejecting. It made for a very long drive back to Toronto after uh, after seeing that. And yeah, yeah, not a positive memory by any means, which I thought we were supposed to be doing. I thought we were trying to elicit positive memories here, man. I don't know what's going on. Well, here's my thing. It's like I, going back and looking back upon that game. Yeah, they lost. They were never expected to win that series anyway. Um, and like for me, it's kind of a I don't know, it's kind of a poetic thing that they fell like short in that first round. Um, obviously, if Paul Pierce didn't come back the next year and destroy them on a different team, maybe we're looking upon it a little bit differently. But um, like it was kind of like a nice first step for the team. They got to the playoffs. Everyone was just happy to be there. Amir Johnson was a monster down the stretch in that game. He kind of led the comeback that they had no business making. Uh, he finished with twenty and ten, uh, and he was amazing. Then Terrence Ross had that steal. On Paul Pierce, in the last inbound of the game with like three seconds left or whatever it was to set up the Kyle Lowry attempt that got blocked, um, there was like a lot of really fun stuff. That was like the, I think the craziest the ACC had gotten to that point that year, and that year it kind of like became what the ACC is now. But um, like it, it just – that going back on it, I think in hindsight, I remember that game a lot more positively than I do now. I guess you don't agree though. No, but I do remember another game from that series a lot better than Game 7. This is Jake from Locked On. 
Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And that was game two, mm. okay? And I know, like, oh, game two, what the hell about Series 1-7? But uh, remember, like, game one, Masai comes out, F Brooklyn, F Brooklyn, they lose the game and everyone's laughing. Everyone's like, all right, Nets pretty easily. But Toronto comes back, kind of does their thing, and who is on court, who's courtside, um, you know, kind of raising his game a little bit? That's Drake. You know why? Because he had that lint roller. My guy had that. <laughs> if you believe life, you believe life. And then when Toronto came back, game five, they gave away freaking lint rollers at the game. <laughs> like, kidding me? What an iconic moment. Like, Drake, like, the, the perception of Drake from, like, horny cheesy was elevated, yes, but his status was cemented in Toronto as the guy. He's the guy because people are now talking about the Raptors and yeah, they were talking about Drake and that's fine, but you know, he was rocking that Raptors gear with that lint roller and it was pretty cool to see everyone kind of clowning on him and us having to defend him. Like, he's our guy. Don't you clown on him, man. We're coming back here and um, yeah, I don't know. Lint roller game will stand out for me for sure. Man, I totally forgot about the lint roller. That is something I have not thought about since April 2014. That's I totally forgot like about that. Not that long ago. Yeah, no, it, it, it's really not. Um, I'm trying to remember when that game took place. It was like a Tuesday night game, I guess. Um, I guess it might have been a later game in the series. I remember. Um, I think the Raptors won this one as well. It might have been game five. Uh, yeah, it might have been game five back at home. I uh, like I went to school in Ottawa, and yeah. no one in Ottawa really cares about the Raptors, and all my friends didn't care about the Raptors. They were all like, oh, let's watch Tampa Bay-Montreal in the playoffs, and I'm like, eh, don't really feel like watching hockey when there's a Game 5 on, and I remember like having to fight with my friends. like The most heated I think I've ever gotten with my friends to try to get the game on at the, like, the TV at my buddy's house. Um, right. And like, thankfully, I think Tampa Bay went up like 5-1 on Montreal, and everyone's like, all right, fine, we'll put on the Raptors uh, to shut me up. Um, but I, yeah, that was a uh, that was an interesting experience watching that series in Ottawa when uh, you know no one really cared to, to be watching it up there. Um, I feel like maybe five four years later that might be different, but uh, you know people might care about it a little bit more. But yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting year. It was kind of um, I don't think everyone was kind of on with the We the North thing just yet. I guess that was the year they started the We the North thing too, wasn't it? They like rolled it out early, if I remember correctly, right? Exactly. They, they rolled yeah. it out early because uh, no one really expected the Raptors to kind of do anything that year. Right? <laughs> I think that was the year they were trying to trade Kyle, and uh, they just didn't because I don't know. The Knicks said no. Yeah, and, you know, come on, right? Like they were scared of Masai. Fun. They were they'd already yeah. been swindled by Masai too many times before. And so Toronto got a playoff spot, and they got this cool slogan that's kind of taken off and emerged as kind of a cultural thing here in the city right now. Mm-hmm. 
uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't work out. But I guess, you know what, looking back in that series, it was that moment where people felt like the Raptors got next and the Raptors were ready to, to kind of take that next step. And, I mean, we know they, they really haven't done that yet. But, again, they became more cultural uh, in Toronto, which was cool, man. It became a, a staple team here. I'm extremely happy to uh, forget that the 2015 playoffs ever happened. Um, oh, I have nothing from that one. Yeah, that one I no, don't. never have to talk about those again. But 2016, a couple other games. Um, here, uh, here's a couple for you. Uh, let me tell you. You tell me which one you like more slash remember more um, or thought was a better game. Game five against Indy, the Norm Powell dunk, Frank Vogel playing the Ty Lawson and Rodney Stuckey-led bench unit that completely pissed away. Uh, any chance for the Pacers to win that game? I think they were up 13 going into the yep. fourth. The Raptors ended up uh, winning it by three. I think they had scored it by, it was like 25-9 in the fourth quarter, something crazy yeah. like that. Solomon Hill's long fingers uh, stayed on the ball, the buzzer beater to, to keep it as a three-point lead at the end. Um, so there's that game, or... Game four against Cleveland in the conference finals. In that game, you get Biz uh, not fouling LeBron on, on the block at the end of the half. You have uh, the fourth quarter where the Cavs ran out that crazy bench unit where they scored on like every possession for 12 possessions and the Raptors kept striking back at the other end. And that was like the Raptors, to me, that was the Raptors withstanding the Cavs' best punch. That was like the only time in the series they really did that. Um, but you know, it was between those two games, which one stands out to you most? so funny because I have Game 7, Indiana Series, standing out, and then uh, Game 3 versus the Cavs standing out more. But right. I'd, say, I'd say the Norm Powell dunk in itself is what makes that Indiana Series memorable to me. Uh, the Norm like coming out party, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, still kind of shaved head Norm. And Drake's views came out. It's funny. I associate a lot of things with Drake. That's how my mind kind of connects things and the nodes and the networks work up there. Mm-hmm. But if you remember views came out like a couple days before that right and everybody was you know putting drake sitting on things everywhere because he was sitting on top of that cn tower and then there was a site where you could just put him anywhere and so i just tweeted out a picture of drake sitting on the basketball that norm was about to dunk and uh, <laughs> kind of took off so um you know for the clout i'll say game five against the Pacers is more <laughs> memorable to me because added some twitter followers to my uh to my list there but uh that series was crazy too because again it was same old raptors right it's like they're gonna lose to this sorry indiana team yeah but here's norm out of nowhere with some defense and a crazy dunk that he almost didn't connect on but then ended up being one of the iconic moments uh from that postseason on top of a couple other good ones as well uh but the game the game the series against the Cavs. okay i remember the biombo 26 rebound game a lot more than game four mm. because that's what i felt like that's what they needed right they needed a game they needed to take one back at home before everyone was like, no, nah, it's over, no, nah, it's over, no, nah, it's over. And so uh, Biombo comes out. Everyone's like, oh, you got to pay him all the money now. He's so much better than JV. <laughs> but, and I'm, thankfully they didn't. But for uh, the duration that he was there, he did what he needed to do. 26 rebounds against the Cavs. Like, he was getting to every single thing in the glass that game. And uh, they needed someone else because I don't think DeMar had a very good game in that one as well. Yeah, the uh, Biombo earned himself people having takes that the Raptors should pay him instead of Demar that summer. Like that was a thing that people thought, which was insane. <laughs> How did we get there? I don't know, um, but yeah, twenty six rebounds will help that, I suppose. For me, first of all, you mentioned the Drake framing of everything. That game five also featured Drake clapping and Rodney stuck his ear um, yes. during that yes, comeback. Yeah, that was beautiful. Um, but yeah, the, it, for the Cavs series. 
I've always kind of identified with Game 4 more than Game 3. I think because, like I said, like I feel like Game 3, the Cavs kind of gave it to them. And you know, for most of that series, whenever the Raptors were doing whatever they wanted and kind of getting the looks they wanted, it was mostly because the Cavs weren't trying. And it was just kind of obvious, like, yeah, if the Cavs are trying, the Raptors really don't have an answer. Um, and, and like they're overmatching the series, and yes, it's two two or whatever. But like you know, going back to Cleveland, I don't think anyone had any illusions that the Raptors were going to win that series, and I don't think even on the Raptors did. Like I, I remember, was it uh, Bruce Arthur said on the low post that like Louis Scola was talking to him before Game Six and was like, "Yeah, uh, this is going to be tough because they were expecting the Cavs to actually try." Um, yeah. The thing about Game Four though was for that fourth quarter. The Cavs ran out that crazy bench unit with Della Vadova, Richard Jefferson, Shumpert, and Channing Frye that they were just, like, demolishing teams within that playoffs. Their offensive rating was, like, 150 or something insane like that. And they were, like, it seemed like they were very much trying not to have this series go to 2-2. They wanted to go up 3-1 to go back home, what the Raptors probably should have done in Game 4 against the Wizards this week. But, hey, we don't have to talk about that. Um, But they, they really seemed like they wanted that game. And they had like 12 or 13 straight possessions where they scored using the same damn option play. It was either Fry or LeBron rolling to the rim or Richard Jefferson. Like, it was bizarre, but that lineup had killed for them all playoffs long. And it scored whenever they wanted on the Raptors, but the Raptors went down the other end and scored on like 11 of 12 possessions themselves and kind of withstood the Cavs' best punch. And for me, that was like the one time in those playoffs where it really felt like the Raptors were on the Cavs' level. Um, so that's why that game kind of stands out to me a little bit more. Yes, game uh, like game three was more of a blowout, but I, I, I feel like the win against, in game four was a bit more impressive, but um, I, I'm totally here for arguments that game three was more memorable. Was a lot, the game four one was obviously a lot more validating, right? It showed that the Raptors semi kind of belonged in that conversation. Right. And it, inspired, it just inspired hope for the next season, right? Which is kind of what all these playoffs, minus the 2015 playoffs, uh, have, have done. <laughs> Uh, for the Raptors, right? It just felt like they were climbing towards something bigger. And obviously, they're the one seed right now and, um, you know, hoping that they get through this series and then just kind of, you know, figure it out again. But, uh, yeah, no, but it seems like every year they've been they've been favored to do better than they have. They just kind of haven't done it because they always run into LeBron, right? And, and that's kind of been their issue right now over the last couple of years. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, the, it's kind of nice not having like the overwhelming inevitability and fear of, of LeBron uh, this year, although it probably should probably we, we should probably look at him the same way. But you know the, yep. the way the Cavs are playing, it, it gives you some hope um, yeah. that maybe the, the next round is not the end of the line. Um, last year, we haven't really touched on anything from last year's playoffs. Were there any games in there? I mean, the Cavs series kind of a wash. The Kyle got yeah. hurt. Like, there was nothing really there. But is there a game in the Bucks series that stood out to you as something that you'll kind of you know take with you going forward? Yeah, I like Game Five. I like Game Five against the Bucks, man. You like the blowouts, man. <laughs> I like the blowouts because it, it showed the comfort, man. It, it was like it's not comfortable being a Raptors fan in the playoffs, right? Because everything is so GD stressful. <laughs> so, you know, the Raptors are 2-2 with this sorry Bucks team. Again, we got to say they're not a very good team. They're, they're okay because they have Giannis, but they weren't, they weren't very good. And, you know, they're scoring 70 points or 75 points, I think, in Game 3. And, you know, winning games by scoring 85 or 87 points in Game 4. And then they throw down 118 in Game 5. And they, they kind of took control again. And that's why I think there are parallels this year than and to, to this year and last year where... You know, it's 2-2, two, two, 
yeah, yeah, you win game four last year, you lose game four this year, but it's the same scenario. You're coming back home with a chance to put your foot down on this team that shouldn't be anywhere close to as competitive as they are right now, and the Raptors did it. And yeah, they had to hold on in game six, but they worked themselves a big enough lead uh, you know, where they could afford to make some mistakes at the end there. But uh, that's why I'm not like overly stressed about game five because I think the Raptors are just going to do what they've been doing for a while now and just show why... You know, they're there. The Raptors, again, against the Wizards on Game 4, like, they raced out to a good lead twice. Like, they had a pretty good double-digit lead at the first and then maybe eight or nine points in, in the third or in the fourth quarter. And they just stopped doing things well. Like, mm-hmm. stopped doing anything well. And so everything they've said over the last couple of days has made me feel like they're going to be okay going into Game 5. And they showed it against Milwaukee last year. I don't know why they can't just do it again. Just do it again at home, you know? You're back at home. Go do it. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Yeah, they've been good in Game 5s. Uh, I think they've won the last three Game 5s they've played, I guess. Or oh, no, yeah. it would be, it'd be four because they beat the, the Nets in Game 5 as well. So they've uh, they've had some success in Game 5s at the 2-2 situation. Um, from the, me from the Bucks series, so I, I'm like different from you. I like just like the grimy, like tough it out wins, I suppose. Game 4 I always remember as being this big release because they were down 2-1. I don't remember ever being as nervous for a Raptors game as I was for that game because so much seemed to be riding on it. It really felt like the Raptors lose that series. I think Kyle's gone 100%. Um, you know, obviously the market played out differently than we maybe expected, but still, I think, you know, if, if they lose that series, then I think Kyle's gone. I think probably Dwayne gets fired. Um, maybe they look at some other stuff. Maybe they don't bother bringing back Surge. Like a lot was riding on that Buck series last year. Um, and with game four, it just everything seemed to be riding on that singular game at that time. And then the Raptors make this starting lineup change everyone had been looking for. Norm Powell starts, and he goes three of three from deep, 12 points. He was awesome. Like, bring back that Norm for this game five, please. Um, and he, he was just incredible, and the, the lineup change worked. DeMar had maybe, you know, I guess you could say game six against the Bucks was up there. And I guess you could say game two against the Wizards as like his best playoff games as a Raptor. But in that game, 33 on 12 of 22, he got to the line nine times, hit them all, five assists, nine boards, four steals. Like that was a great, great DeMar game. And that was the game too where Serge Ibaka uh, like almost shot the nut of it at the start of the fourth quarter. He was 4 of 16 on the night. They brought in Jonas. Jonas had a nice close to the game, so the Hive was happy. Um, and they ended up winning at 87-76 in just like an absolute slog of a game. But 
that kind of felt like it saved the season a little bit. It felt like they kind of solved the Bucks there too. They're, you know, the, the Bucks trapping defense. It felt like you know that was the game where they sort of you know unlocked it a little bit. And I think Norm was pretty influential in that. So um, that that game is always going to be up there for me, as ugly as it was. And then Game Six too. It was bad giving up that crazy run at the end, and it looked like they were going to you know lose it and then go back to Game Seven. But it, you know, Demar's dunk on Thon Maker late, and then Corey Joseph's three. Like it's kind of nice to get those like landmark shots out of any playoff run, and I think those were probably the two that stand out from last year. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. Just because there's not much that stood out in the series that came after that, and so um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I, I hear your arguments, and I think I think that's all valid. But I don't know when. The, the, I'm I'm just like. I don't remember much from the grind out games just because I remember like biting off my fingers instead. And so uh, I'll, I'll take comfort over close every single time, even though it doesn't make for the most sexy narrative in the world, you know, or the most appealing television. But uh, I'm about the no stress life right now. So if they can win one by like double digits handily, I'm okay with all that. I don't want a big shot. I want the big shot to come in the fourth quarter. I mean, the first quarter to put them up 14, and then they kind of coast the rest of the way. You know, like they should have in game four. In game four, as I calm down a little bit right now. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just I just like the blowouts a lot more because I can smile and laugh and get giddy at every shot that goes in to increase the lead. I uh, as much as I say I like the close games, give me a thirty point blow tomorrow yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not in for something close tomorrow. Just get it done and uh, hopefully win it in six. That'd be fun and I, ideal, I think. But um, not game seven, please do not give me a game seven. Again. Yeah, I don't think I can handle it. Speaking of game five, what's your sort of like ritual for a very intense, you know, high stakes playoff game? Oh man, I'm not. A, I don't do too much. Like, I'm not a big superstition guy or anything. But I have to watch at home. Right. I don't like going to places and watching. I don't like being at someone else's house and stuff. You know, I like to be at my own place and it's kind of quiet everywhere. And I got the laptop. I got Twitter fired up. I got the gifts, you know, ready to go. You know, when when needed and stuff. And I just like to be in my own house, walking around if I need to. Just like have a little basketball net in my condo, so I like to shoot on there while things are a little stressful as well so <laughs> exactly what i'm gonna do and i mean tomorrow is just on top of the basketball there's about a million other things that are gonna make me stressed out as well so i'm not going anywhere man i'm sitting right here and just gonna do my thing yeah tomorrow i think is gonna be a day where uh the press row objectivity thing is a uh, kind of stretch to the limit i mean dan reynolds yeah. we know he's going to be cheering on something <laughs> this is it's a it's a constant struggle for dan reynolds um i might be in the dan reynolds camp uh myself just with everything that's going to be happening i'm pretty excited for what tomorrow is going to bring i think yeah. there's yeah. like a lot of so i don't know in the past i feel like there's been like a lot of just like territorialism over maple leaf square and who gets to watch what where and when and oh, this team's the home team, but this game's not quite as important, so why aren't the Leafs or the Raptors up on the big screen, and why do we have to go split screen? I really, really hope, like, from the bottom of my heart, that that doesn't happen tomorrow. With Considering everything that's happened this week in Toronto, I I, I don't know. I, I'm guessing you're probably with me on this. Like, I, I just don't be dicks, people, and just, like, enjoy it and, like, root for all the teams. Like, you don't have to pick one or the other. Um, but like I don't know, like, I'm pretty excited for what it could potentially be tomorrow if things go to plan. I mean, if everything goes to, to crap and the teams lose, then obviously it's going to be just like a large 
swath of land covered in sad people, but um, I'm really excited for what that could potentially be as like a moment for the city if everything goes to plan. I agree, and you know what? Uh, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment is playing it right. They're doing basically two separate tailgate parties mashed into one, right? The Raptors yeah. are the home team tomorrow at the Air Canada Center. They're going to get that big screen treatment at the front, but uh, they're setting up another TV at the back of the tailgate, or another screen at least, on the back of the tailgate where they're going to air the Leafs game, and Leaf fans can be there. They're adding a third screen to watch Toronto FC, who also play uh, tomorrow as well. And say you're just not interested in any of those three, just walk about a kilometer and a half and you're at the Rogers Center where the Jays play as well. <laughs> like, within a, you know, one kilometer area, like, there are four different Toronto teams vying for pretty important things. I guess you can argue it's a little early for the Jays, but they're playing the best team in baseball this early and so, for some people, that's interesting and uh, it, it's hectic, man. Like, it's going to be crazy and like you said, I hope everyone is kind of united. We, we need that right now in the city. We need to just come together and what more appropriate place in which to be distracted from the realities of the world than through sport. And let's not make tomorrow anything other than just being, you know, united as a city and, and being hashtag Toronto strong that everyone's been preaching for the last day or so. Yeah. It's possible to be happy for multiple sports teams. Yeah. It doesn't have to oh, be. My mentions are wild because I tweeted out the plan for Maple Leaf sports and entertainment and people are like, Oh man, why are the basketball fans getting the big TV, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, guys, everyone just needs to calm down. You're going to be fine. Yeah. You're going to be fine. Or just like, as much as I, I really love the, the vibe of going down, people going down to watch the game in the square, maybe oh. go somewhere with chairs if you don't yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to watch the game there. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I can't do it with that many people, man. I've never been to the square as a non-work obligation and so i will never go to watch anything there if i don't have to just because i just can't imagine like being in a good place there with all those people the only time i've been to the square uh was during game seven leafs bruins in 2013 i was in a bar like on bremner or whatever and then for like the last five minutes of the game we're like hey let's go celebrate with everyone in the square this will be awesome um, and as we were walking out of the bar, Matt Fratton missed on the breakaway, and then everything went to hell from there. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really plan on going back to the square anytime soon either because there's just a bad juju about it. But um, I don't know. Just don't be the people who are like, please like my sport. My sport's better. My sport's yeah, more important. Yeah, like, yeah, all the sports yeah. are good. The sports are fun, and they're high stakes tomorrow, and I feel like everyone can probably enjoy them. I feel like... There is a lot of crossover between Leafs and Raptors fans. Like it's not like it's like a it's just like a fine line between the two, and there's none that cross over. But um, for the people who are you know single sport fans, it's a uh, considering everything that's going on. Just it's not a bad thing to embrace something else, something different, something new. And uh, I guess we can leave the soapbox there. Faisal, man, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. Oh, it was my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. Hopefully, we've. Uh put some positive memories in people's heads and they can, you know, think it through, you know, put it into existence that the Raps need some positivity. All the Toronto sports teams do, really. So uh, let's just all be positive on Wednesday and hope for the best. Yeah, for all of the rough times the Raptors have had in playoff games, they've been pretty good in games where there's a lot riding on them. So here's hoping they can kind of uh, keep that trend going. Uh, Faisal, where can people check you out? Uh, You can obviously see me on Sportsnet. Uh, everywhere, anytime, almost you turn on your TV, I'm there. Uh, you can obviously <laughs> follow me on Twitter, SN Faisal Kamisa. Uh, yeah, that's it, man. All right, man. Thank you so much. Uh, listeners, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. I'll have some sort of written stuff uh, tomorrow morning 
previewing game five um, from a more fun angle, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we will also do a podcast from the arena, uh, most likely tomorrow night after the game, and after the Leafs game is over probably as well, so I can watch that. <laughs> I'm going to be uh, not the most professional person tomorrow. I'm kind of concerned about it. Maybe I'll get my credential taken away or something like that. But uh, So stay tuned for that. There'll be a podcast. Love something written about game five as well. And uh, enjoy the game. Enjoy the games, everybody. It should be a great time. Be nice to everybody. Be good to each other. Uh, thoughts uh, are obviously with everyone who are still affected and dealing with everything that happened in Toronto this week. And, uh, you know, keep them all in your thoughts. And uh, just be nice to each other. And that's pretty much it. Thanks so much for joining the show, Faisal. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you next time on Lockdown Raptors. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.